0: Hi, my name is Clayton, and you're listening to the Isaiah 43 podcast, where we explore how God has formed us, redeemed us, and how he calls us today. Each week, we will journey through scripture to understand all that God has done and what exactly his call is for our lives today. Welcome to week 46, an apologetics week, where we combat the world's lies with God's truth. Now, this apologetics week, I have to credit and dedicate to a good friend of mine, Mr. George. Mr. George is one of the most gracious hard-working, and intelligent men that I have ever met in my entire life. Truthfully, I believe that I could have learned a lot more from him than any theology professor. I worked with him for a time, and during our time together, we had so many fruitful conversations about faith and theology that I am blessed to have been a part of. He challenged me and my faith more than almost anyone else ever has, and I am very thankful for that. Lord willing, one day we will have him on this show. But I mention Mr. George because it is because of one of our conversations that made me think about this subject a lot. Then I got to reading on it, and then I started to get curious, and so now I want to share that information with all of you that just started with a simple conversation between two friends. Many of you have heard of the Book of Enoch. Some of you may not have. Either way, the Book of Enoch has been called many things over the years, such as the best piece of spin-off literature ever created, an authentic historical text, or even the most popular rejected document in Jewish and Christian history. No matter how you view the book, you have to admit that it is quite an interesting read. It tells us of the fall of the angels described in the book of Genesis, and it tells us how humanity learned things like weapon making and astrology. Yet the most interesting thing about the book of Enoch is not the stories that are told in it or the fact that it has been rejected as canonical, but that it actually appears in the Bible. Before we dive into anything else, let us pray. Father God, we come before you today and we we ask for your presence, Lord. Please fill us with your spirit, whatever it is that we're doing today, Lord. I pray that you're with us and you will let us know that you are with us, Lord God. And I thank you for your holy scripture, which you have provided to us. You have revealed yourself to us through your inspired word, Lord God. We'd be stumbling around in the darkness if it wasn't for you, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you that your word has endured for generations and generations. It has stood for the test of time and has stood against the scrutiny of history and archaeology because it proves itself with those very things, Lord God. And I pray that through today's episode, you will touch the hearts and minds of those listening, Lord, wherever they may be. I pray that they will be blessed from the hearing of your word and that they will go through their days knowing this information, and that it will help touch somebody's heart, Lord God. Please be with us in our study, and lead us and guide us in all things for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The book of Enoch is said to have been written by Enoch. So in order to understand the book of Enoch and what is written within its pages, we really need to understand who wrote it, where it came from, and a little bit about the history behind it. We'll start with who was Enoch first. What does the Bible tell us about this man, Enoch? Well, there are at least four different men in the Bible named Enoch. The one that is discussed the most is the same one that is often credited with the book of Enoch. That would be the one mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. Let's read that now. As usual, our scripture reading comes from the ESV or English Standard Version. So again, Genesis chapter 5, Verses 18 through 24. When Jared had lived a hundred and sixty two years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch eight hundred years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty two years, and he died. When Enoch had lived sixty five years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah three hundred years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. It is from verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him, that so much has arisen out of. You get all the different books of Enoch, like First and Second Enoch, and then you have mention of him again in non-biblical books like the book of Jubilees. Then he makes another appearance in the book of Hebrews, and lastly in the book of Jude. Throughout all these accounts, we see the same story being played out. Enoch, who doesn't die, is taken up by God into heaven. He's shown heaven and the fate of the world. While the book of Genesis may not make this event entirely clear, we do see it mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Let's see what that has to say. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So then, the book of Hebrews does clarify things a little bit. It does tell us in a bit more concise language that Enoch was taken up by God. But what about all the things that Enoch supposedly writes about? Is that found in the Bible anywhere? Well, yes, kind of. The book of Enoch is not as simple as it may seem. For example, when we refer to the book of Enoch, we are generally referring to 1st Enoch. But there are other books of Enoch, such as 2nd Enoch and 3rd Enoch. 1st Enoch, or the book of Enoch, is really several texts stitched together, with the oldest being dated to about three to 400 years before Christ. The theory is that these were originally separate texts that someone eventually brought together. You notice this by the abrupt changes in content and sections. The Book of Enoch has 105 chapters. Chapters 1 through 36 tell of the Watchers. Chapters 37 through 71 are the Book of Parables. Chapters 72 through 82 are the Book of the Luminaries. Chapters 83 through 90 are the Dream Visions. And finally, chapters 91 through 105 are the Epistles of Enoch. Interestingly enough, it also has two appendices titled The Birth of Noah and the Final Book of Enoch. But regardless, what is in it? Well, in the Book of Watchers, Enoch tells of the quote-unquote sons of God, or the fallen angels of their children, the Nephilim. They start to cause havoc on earth and by killing and eating men. They teach humanity weapon-making, sorcery, astrology, and all sorts of stuff. Humanity cries out to God, and thus the archangels are sent to imprison and destroy these fallen angels, as well as warn Noah of the coming flood to wipe out humanity the rest of the book of Enoch essentially discusses the coming of the Messiah and the end of times. Well, doesn't all that sound familiar? We see the story of his quote-unquote sons of God come down to earth and mate with women in Genesis chapter 6. And we see that Noah is told about the coming flood in the same chapter. And then throughout all the Bible, we see stories of the coming Messiah and the end of times. We see very similar themes and concepts in the book of Enoch that we do in the Bible. There's also this passage of First Enoch, chapter 5, verse 4 through 9, which also sounds like something you would, might read in the Bible. But ye, ye have not been steadfast, nor done the commandments of the Lord. But ye have turned away and spoken proud and hard words with your impure mouths against his greatness. O ye hard-hearted, ye shall find no peace. Therefore sh- shall ye excrete your days, and the years of your life shall perish, and the years of your destruction shall be multiplied in eternal execration, and ye shall find no mercy. In those days ye shall make your names an eternal execration unto all the righteous, and by you shall all who curse curse, and all the sinners and godless shall imprecate by you, and for you the godless there shall be a curse, and all the sh- all the shall rejoice and there shall be forgiveness of sins and every mercy and peace and forbearance. And there shall be salvation unto them, a goodly light. And for all you sinners, there shall be no salvation, but on you all shall abide a curse. But for the elect, there shall be light and joy and peace, and they shall inherit the earth. And then there shall be bestowed upon the elect wisdom and they shall all live and never, never again sin either through ungodlessness or through pride. But they who are wise shall be humble, and they shall not again transgress, nor shall they sin all the days of their life, nor shall they die of the divine anger or wrath, but they shall complete the number of the days of their life, and their lives shall be increased in peace, and the years of their joys shall be multiplied in eternal gladness and peace all the days of their life. Someone unfamiliar with the Bible may mistake this for Scripture as it reads very similarly. This is just a snippet of some of the stuff that is in the book of Enoch. We have passages of Enoch that sounds just like something that was out of your Bible, and that's because it is. If Jews and Christians do not consider the book of Enoch to be canonical or even inspired by the Holy Spirit, then why does Jude quote it in his epistle? The book of Jude is the last book of the Bible before the book of Revelation. It is only one chapter, with only 25 verses in the one chapter. Jude quotes the book of Enoch in verses 14 and 15. This means that almost 15% of the book of Jude is actually from the book of Enoch. So then that begs the question, does God inspire the book of Enoch too? Well, let's see what Jude has to say about Enoch first, and then we'll dive into everything else. Jude, verses 14 and 15 from the ESV read, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodlessness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And First Enoch chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 reads, But with the righteous he will make peace, and will protect the elect, and mercy shall be upon them, and they shall all belong to God. And they shall all be prospered, and they shall all be blessed. And he will help them all, and light shall appear unto them, and he will make peace with them. And behold, he cometh with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to destroy all the ungodly, and to convict f- all flesh of all the works of their ungodlessness which they have committed, ungodly committed, and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So in that case, does that make the Book of Enoch inspired? No, it doesn't. There are a lot of reasons why, so let's start diving into them now. First, Thomas R. Schneider, the Associate Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, states, The Book of First Enoch was in circulation in Jude's day, and was well known in Jewish circles. Jude almost certainly derived the citation from the Book of First Enoch, and the latter is clearly pseudobiographical we would be faced with having to say that Jude knew that this specific quotation from First Enoch was derived from the historical Enoch. It is better to conclude that Jude quoted the pseudo-biographical 1 Enoch that he also believed that the portion he quoted represents God's truth. Jude's wording does not demand that he thought he had an authentic oracle from the historical Enoch. There is no reason to conclude, however, that the entire book should be a part of the canon of Scripture. Jude probably cited a part of First Enoch that he considered a genuine prophecy. Perhaps he referred to Enoch because the adversaries treasured the work and therefore he used their ammunition against them. It is possible that the false teachers rejected Christian tradition about Christ's coming and hence Jude cited Enoch's prophecy. Indeed, the content of the prophecy is not remarkable, assuring the reader that the Lord will truly judge the ungodly. Importantly, citing a quotation from another source does not indicate that the entire work is inspired, even if the saying itself is true. For instance, Paul quoted Aratus in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, and he surely did not intend to teach the entire work is inspired scripture. Similarly, he quoted Epimedes in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, without any notion that he accepted the truth of the whole work. Some might think that the citation here is different because Jude said Enoch prophesied. The verb prophesy is sometimes used to designate canonical scripture. But the verb is also used to say that a certain utterance or saying is from God. For example, Caiaphas prophesied regarding the fate of Jesus, even though he was an unbeliever. Zechariah prophesied when the Spirit filled him at John the Baptist's birth. Women prophesied when the believing church gathered. A prophecy made derive from God and still not be a part of canonical scripture. We cannot necessarily draw the conclusion from the words Enoch prophesied that the work was considered to be scripture. It would have been more telling if Jude had used the phrase "it is written" with reference to First Enoch. Jude simply drew from a part of the work that he considered true. We know the Quram community valued First Enoch, but not, did not include the book in its canon. Nor do any major Christian groups today consider First Enoch to be inspired scripture. Jude cited it for its truth, but he did not claim inspiration for the entire work. But let's say you're not convinced by what Dr. Schneider wrote. Then we have to look at some other evidence here. Daniel Isaiah Joseph, the president and senior writer at Christianity FAQ, as well as a former college professor slash administrator and professor, also writes in an article titled, Seven Reasons Historic Christianity Rejects the Book of Enoch, which I'll link in the description, that the Book of Enoch was not lost or forgotten in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, but was actually rejected. The same goes for many of the early church fathers. They read the book, reviewed them, and then rejected it from canon. Only a few accepted it as canon, but even some of those who initially accepted it ultimately rejected it too. Today, there are only two confessing churches that accept it as canonical, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church and the Etrian Orthodox Church. However, these churches are very interesting churches that have a much larger canonical Bible. Honestly, they deserve their own episode to go over, so if you'd like to see that, please feel free to reach out to us and we'll certainly cover them. But again, they are the only two churches who consider the book of Enoch to be canonical. I won't lie, the book of Enoch is a very fascinating read. It has a lot of interesting information, but at the end of the day, it's not canonical. We don't know much about it because even though the book claims to be written by Enoch, the truth is, we don't actually know if he wrote it or not. We don't know who wrote any of it. But at the end of the day, we have the books of the Bible that God wanted us to have, we have had the Bible for a very long time. It has stood the test of time. It has been scrutinized and tested time and time again, but in the end, God's holy word prevails. If God intended for the book to be canonical, then it would have been. But instead, the only thing that remains of the book of Enoch in our Bibles today is the passage from the book of Jude. Everything else, while it might be fun to read and let our imaginations think that this is what could have happened, we have to accept the fact that this is not information that God wanted us to have in Scripture. It's not important for the story of salvation, because everything we need to know about salvation and who God is, and everything like that has been revealed to us already. And maybe, when we get to heaven ourselves, we can ask what really happened, and why God did not want the book of Enoch to be within the pages of our Bible. Or we can just be thankful that He has revealed Himself to us, Now we can know that our Bibles today can be backed up historically and archaeologically as well as theologically and just simply logically. So praise be to God for that. And until next time, my dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.